Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome to another week of Don't Box Me In. I am your host, Lana Reed. Today we're going to talk about a subject that a lot of people are uncomfortable uh, discussing, but my guest today is going to show us that it's not so scary once we understand it. Robert Kopecki is an award-winning illustrator, art director, and animation designer for the New York Times, Sports Illustrated, PBS Kids, and more. He is here today to share with us his near-death experiences and how it all impacted his life, which has allowed him to live more life. I am so happy to have him on the show with me today, and it is with pleasure that I welcome Robert. Robert, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Thank you, Lana. It's a great uh, pleasure to have the opportunity to chat with you and and to uh, talk to your listeners. So excited to learn what you have uh, for us today. Now, I was reading over everything about you, and you have had such colorful, rich life experiences. So let's start off with your childhood. Uh, you were born in San Diego, and uh, can you tell me what was early childhood life like for you? Uh, I was, yeah, I was born in San Diego, not far from the border, and I grew up in the 60s. I was born in 1956. I had kind of a difficult childhood because my father uh, was, is an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and so I had a lot of those kinds of issues growing up with, uh, you know, adults behaving in less than responsible ways and and, uh, those kind of questions of self-esteem that arise for a kid in that situation. Um, I think because of that, I um, developed a a powerful imagination, and and, uh, it's probably what led me to become an artist um, because I spent a lot of time um, sort of wondering about life. Even as a small child, I was already already wondering about some of the bigger questions uh, of life. Understood. Um, yeah, so it was uh, it was not easy, but you know, in retrospect, uh, our paths are what they are, and it really uh, brought me. You know, all these terrible <laughs> kind of terrible <laughs> things that have happened to me in my life have really brought me to a place where you know I can talk to people about it now. Yeah, I don't think people really understand the value of everything that we go through in life, good and bad. It really does serve a purpose. And, you know, when you get to the hopefully the the end of your journey destination, you can say, oh, okay, I see with clarity now why I had to struggle through this or, you know, why I experienced that. You know, it didn't feel good at the time, but, you know, it all is for a grander design there. Right, Um, right. And that's really the message. You know, my book is called How to Survive Life and Death, A Guide for Happiness in This World and Beyond, right? And it's about these near-death experiences, and that really is the message of those two, that if you know that consciousness continues beyond this life, as I've been assured of, then uh, you you don't have to lead quite as limited uh, a life, right? It it becomes a more expansive Mm -hmm thing for you. And you can see that some of the awful things that happen, including this kind of ultimate awful thing mm-hmm. that happens, um, is just a, a difficult thing to pass through. Like so many instances in our lives, you know, we, we all live uh, a number of different lives, even in, in, within this one, you know, True. within this life on earth. And we go through uh, hard things. And you're not coming to a, a terrible end. You're passing through a difficult middle. You know? There you go. There you go. 
Good message. Good message. Now, you're, like you mentioned, your book is called How to Survive Life and Death. And, you know, I was reading some of the book um, online and it seems, though, at an early age, death has really touched you or, and been a central part of your life. Um, you started experiencing death around you at a, at a very early age, correct? Yeah, I did, and you know, I think that this happens to a lot of people. Our perception of death uh, begins as a, in childhood, right, with maybe with mm-hmm. our pets or our grandparents, uh, um, that sort of thing. And, you know, you, it's just a mystery as to where people go and why it happens and that you're never going to be able to see them again, that sort of thing. Um, when I was a little bit older, I uh, I started losing my... Uh, aunts and uncles too, mm-hmm. and I. There were a couple young women that I uh, dated who also uh, died in uh, teenage years, and mm-hmm. you know it left me really quite uh, puzzled about yeah. uh, the whole thing. And I'd already had this kind of mystical launch to my life, you know, this, yeah. this kind of questioning, existential uh, sort mm-hmm. of beginning uh, with my life. And when I was in my 20s, then I um, I had been traveling for some time, and I came back to uh, the United States, unfortunately, just in time to be present at the bedside of my favorite aunt mm. when, uh, when she passed away. And that uh, really kind of, um, it kind of unhinged me a little mm-hmm. bit. And I, I set off into a, a life of looking for uh, answers without really knowing what the questions were. You know? <laughs> Doing it all backwards, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, like that, when you don't really, uh, you know, when you don't know what you're doing in life, when you don't have a plan or direction, and life is just kind of um, carrying you along, mm-hmm. uh, it can be a rocky ride. It was for me. I was looking for, for something that would solve uh, my problems, mm-hmm. and like like a lot of people, I looked in a lot of the wrong places. You know, I mean, yeah, it's it's the the process of being young and growing. You know, a lot of times we bump our heads into walls. You know, just kind of trying to figure our way, and um, you know, it, it's just the reality of everybody's young life. Now, right. um, you know, while you're trying to find your way, I'm reading that you you had the opportunity to do such things like, you know, be a ski bum and a, you know, factory welder and living in the Mayan underground. How how is it that you stumbled into all of these opportunities? Well, you know, I'm reminded of something that one of my heroes, Joseph Campbell, uh, said, um, that you don't live life, but life (laughs) lives you. Okay. (laughs) And it was sort of like that. Um, You know, I was kind of launched off on these adventures uh, when I was a kid. I traveled a lot. I left home at an early age. I traveled a lot. I uh, ended up um, being around older people quite Mm -hmm. a bit uh, when I was younger. I worked in a variety of different jobs, uh, lots of times having to do with my artistic talent, which I ultimately turned into my career. Mm -hmm. And... um, I didn't live in the Mayan underground, but I did explore it. Okay. I did a lot of these kinds of things without really having, I wasn't really on a spiritual path. You know, I I had kind of the typical ambition and drive for success that we have when we're younger. 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until much later that I had the opportunity to redefine those things in my life for what I believe they really mean. Mm-hmm. But at the time, like I said earlier, I was, you know, I was trying to become known and trying to accomplish things and trying to discover the answers to things. And, um, you know, life just kind of led me from one of these adventures or misadventures at times to mm-hmm. another. You okay. know, and, and looking back on it, it couldn't have been scripted any better in a way. But, um, you know, at the time it was a little bit chaotic, I suppose. I had friends <laughs> who had their life courses really kind of planned out. And um, I felt like I was a bit at odds with the whole thing. And uh, that contributed to my uh, my adventuring. Yeah. You know, not everybody's life is so nicely, neatly packaged. And, you know, sometimes that is the beauty of it, you know. Um, right the richness of it. So, you know, you have to take what uh, life gives you and make the best of it, which uh, obviously you have. Now, um, on to today's topic. For t- when when was your first near-death experience? How old were you? I think I was about 25 or 26 or so. I was living in Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. it was a car accident. Okay. And it was, uh, um, all three of my near-death experiences were, were sort of... Um, You've heard of them before. You've heard people describe them before when it comes to near-death experiences. Their their formats are are familiar if you know anything about people who've had these experiences. Mm -hmm. And and this one was a classic out-of-body experience Mm -hmm. where I suddenly found myself at the basically at the at the level of the top of a telephone pole that my car had run into, and I was looking down at the scene and saw people run out and saw the ambulance pull up and them loading me into the ambulance. And I tried to uh, communicate to people, but uh, nobody knew I was there. Mm -hmm. I could see things behind hedges and in, you know, backyards and stuff that I couldn't see from the the ground uh, level. Mm -hmm. And I actually went back some weeks later and checked that out to to, uh, confirm, you know, this experience that I'd had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I recognize that I apparently am a spiritual being having a physical experience, right? Okay, okay. At the time, it didn't really register on me because I was still living my life as, as somebody in, you know, I'm living a material life. Mm-hmm. I, I still had that those professional ambitions, and I kind of pushed the whole thing to the side, it didn't fit in with my uh, my my current uh, program, you know, <laughs> in that part of my life, and I just continued as was, uh, without mm-hmm. it really having a big effect on me. Now, reflecting back, and I don't even know if you can, but can you gauge how long time span wise the, the experience lasted for you? Oh yeah, uh, well, in our time, in real time, I I returned to consciousness about eighteen hours later. Okay. So it was the better part of the day. Okay, okay. Um, so during this 18 hours, you are visualizing, experiencing, seeing everything, like being in the hospital, or is it a reflection back onto like your past life experiences? Or or I, I guess I'm just curious about what actually is happening in that 18 hours. Yeah, um, 
No, the, the past life experiences I'll get to because that was my second <laughs> experience. You know, and you got three of them. It's kind of crazy. By the okay. way, I don't recommend this approach to anyone. <laughs> to figure it out. Say, so just listen to Robert. Yeah. Don't do what I did. Just listen to Robert and take exactly. my word for it. <laughs> okay. Right. It is not the path to realization that I think everybody should mm-hmm. take. Um, no, I, you know, I was kind of shepherded off from the scene. I was looking down at the scene and saw all of this stuff transpiring and wasn't able to talk to anybody, but I wasn't alone was the, the definite sense I had, and I was kind of shepherded off into what I describe as a kind of a warm cotton wool gray cloud. Okay. And after that, I recalled sitting in a kind of um, a pastoral place, almost like a like an outdoor cafe or a park that was really quite lovely and having quite a lovely conversation, not unlike this right now, where mm-hmm. certain things of some importance were hashed out. I can't remember exactly what they were or who I was with. I'm mm-hmm. not sure that I was meant to recall all those details. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I knew that it was important and that it was instructive. Okay. There was an there was an element of an education about it, you know. Um, like I said, it really it apparently didn't take. It didn't work very well <laughs> because when I it came back to consciousness, I kind of wanted the whole experience to go away. Oh, okay. And it wasn't okay. until many years later um, that. Uh, it crystallized along with the other experiences for me. But I, I um, that's really all I have a recollection of, is having had this kind of interview of sorts in this beautiful pastoral location. Okay, okay. And I, well, you know, I, I don't really go deeply into the scenarios of the afterlife in my book. I touch on them with each experience. But uh, the important thing, I think, is about the continuation of life and consciousness and what that means for us in every moment about living in the eternal moment you know yeah i think that's a good point that everybody needs to grasp we're going to take our first commercial break robert so stay tuned we'll be right back welcome back to don't box me in here's your host lana reed Hello, hello. Welcome back to Don't Box Me. And today I am with Robert Kopecki, the author of the book, How to Survive Life and Death. And before the break, we were talking about his first near-death experience at the age of 25 when he was in a car accident in Los Angeles. And uh, we were talking about how, you know, even though this 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 wonderful opportunity to learn happened to you, you kind of still really didn't intake it all. And I um, I'm assuming at some point in time you had to be knocked on the head again with your second near-death experience, correct? Yeah, it takes a lot for some of us, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> apparently, you know. So um, uh, when did the second one happen? Don't box me in. It's kind of an unfortunate metaphor when you're talking about dying, although it really does talk about my point, which is that, you know, we can live beyond sort of the limitations mm-hmm, of true. this life and... and um, that has uh, I, that touches on something that I wanted to mention too, which has to do with how wonderful and varied people's reports of the afterlife can be. You mm-hmm. know, it's such marvelous uh, scenarios of life after death. That um, for me, this wasn't necessarily the case. They were they were special and they were unusual mm-hmm. and they were worth talking about. 
But um, I do feel that all of life is an exercise in great, in a, to a great extent of our imaginations and our mm-hmm. ability to bring our imaginations to bear and to, to, uh, to uh, be willing to allow everything that can happen in our lives to happen. I think that in the afterlife, that kind of all bets are off, you know, all the constraints are off and that um, people can experience a wide range of, uh, of, of different um, scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it really just kind of depends on uh, where we're going and what we have to do uh, for uh, what happens to us right after this. Um, oh. But, um, yeah, I, that, uh, that experience didn't really uh, register with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, the second one uh, kind of didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of hard-headed, huh? It did, it did more, <laughs> I have to say. It did more. Um, I was about 32 uh, when that one happened, and I had been leading a very uh, difficult and dangerous life, you know, mm-hmm. where um, I really was looking in all the wrong places, probably for all the wrong answers, mm-hmm. you know. I say I was burning the candle at both ends, and it was a Roman candle. <laughs> <You know? laughs> And um, I ended up paying a great price a number of times. Uh, I really, that was the school of hard knocks. And mm-hmm. uh, so I had uh, um, problems with running with the wrong crowds and, and using the wrong substances and leading a lifestyle that was very dangerous. And ultimately, it um, it bit back. And I had a kind of a, a, a toxic reaction Mm-hmm. that uh, led me to my second uh, near-death experience, okay. which was also sort of a classic uh, format, for one. Mm-hmm. I found myself inside of what seemed to be a bright white cloud, like if you're flying in a jet through the uh, the sunlit clouds. Mm-hmm. Very bright, and a screen opened up in front of me. Again, I didn't feel alone, but I didn't know or see who I was with. Only okay. sort of a guide was the feeling. And a screen opened up in front of me and showed me these scenes from my life. Mm-hmm. They were not the greatest hits. They were not. <laughs> it was not the best of Bob. You know, there was. Um, they were sort of seminal, kind of pivotal moments when I probably should have learned something, but perhaps I hadn't. You know. Okay. Okay. And I think that this is another thing that, as we get older and we we start to have those moments where something comes back to you, right? Mm-hmm. And you realize, my goodness, that was important. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I had that um, that experience in in um, this sort of form of the afterlife, which didn't seem as profound uh, to me as the first one, mm-hmm. um, in the effect, like the bodily effect of it. Okay. But I was in this place where I, uh, I I came to realize that there is a kind of an accounting for things. You want to call it the Akashic Book of Life, or uh, you okay. know, some kind of record uh, that, uh, and that every little moment can mean a great deal. You know, okay. what happens in the smallest moment sometimes can end up being very, very important in our lives. Okay. I think, yeah, that's a very valuable golden nugget that people need to understand that 
every little piece. It just adds up to the collective big picture. And, you know, you need to try to be conscious of the little deposits that you're making into the bucket, you know, so that uh, right, you, right. you do have this beautiful, rich experience. You know, I'm wondering, you know, as we're talking, and I'm pretty sure you've probably ran into this, when you talk to people about near-death experiences, they kind of give you the side eye and look at you like, you know, okay, this is another crazy dude right here. What what is it what is it about near death experiences that are so hard for people to kind of accept, grasp, you know, just kind of go with? Well, I I can speak about that because of my experience with not having either of of those instances really affect me, you know. Okay. Is there is a kind of an egoic uh, material uh, um connection or uh yeah, a connection to life that that generally doesn't want us to have to go to magical, mysterious places. We want to stay with our feet on the ground and be in reality. You know? mm-hmm. And so for a lot of people, it requires evidence, scientific evidence and the like. Well, to them, I always uh, suggest how intensely magical it is to be on a planet in outer space. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to start with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this whole affair is really pretty wild. Yeah. Um, but just speaking for myself, I know <clears throat> I was uncomfortable uh, with it because it may have been pointing out a certain reality to life, like, oh, that I'm a spiritual passenger having a physical experience and that there is a record of everything that I'm doing here that will become important later. Mm-hmm. The, both of those, or that I'm never alone, <laughs> you know, that there mm-hmm. are guides or presences around me. Uh, none of those things are particularly comfortable, you okay. know, <laughs> when okay. you're just going about your your stuff. Yeah, you want to feel in control of your own. This is this is all me. This is all my doing. But to know that somebody, something, something out there has a hand in, you know. Right. Your total package is it's, it's kind of unnerving, I guess. And I want to get away with stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I want to steal the cookie out the cookie jar and nobody right. notice, right? Right. It's not going to hurt anyone. <laughs> well, it doesn't really matter whether it hurts somebody. I mean, it does matter if it hurts somebody, if you're hurting somebody else. But it does matter to you, you mm-hmm. know, and to this kind of accumulation of spiritual information, your spiritual evolution, which is what I believe this is all about. Removing the obstacles to love, which I believe is the medium of spiritual evolution throughout mm-hmm. all of life, and you know, being able to find your authentic self mm-hmm. you know, through these kinds of obstructions that this life tends to create for us. You know, and that is that is so key, finding your authentic self, because we are so bombarded in society with so much stuff that it's kind of hard to sift your way through it all and, and define who you are and what you're supposed to be doing and, and all of that stuff because, you know, so many other things are telling you, no, you should do this, no, you should be this, no, you should say this or whatever, and it's hard to, you know, maneuver through all of that gunk sometimes. Right, yeah, well, it's always, this life is always demanding that you compare yourself with something or, or that... um that you label things good or bad or better or worse uh, and that you measure up to a certain mm-hmm. set of uh, standards and stuff. And those are those aspects of ambition and success that that I ultimately had to redefine. 
mm-hmm. completely as as not being what our society tells us they are, but being something that um, we all know in our hearts. Okay, okay. Now I'm curious, you mentioned something a couple of times when we were talking about the first two um, near-death experiences, is that feeling of being guided like you weren't alone. Um, now, years later, do you have some sort of grasp or handle on what is the the it that was guiding you? Yes, I do. And, <laughs> you know, that's a result of, of, of kind of, Really hitting a wall in my life after the after the third uh, um, near death experience happened. A few years after that, um, which I can tell you, you want me to tell you about the third one, and I'll get it out of the way. And we can- well, I, I tell you what, we'll hold that thought. We'll take okay. a quick commercial break, and we'll talk about the third one, and, and then we'll talk about you know what it was that was guiding you. So everybody, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Don't Box Me In. I am your host, Lana Reed, and today I am with Robert Kopecki, who has had such an interesting life, and he's the author of the book, How to Survive Life and Death. And um, right before the commercial break, we were going to get into the third near-death experience that you've had. Yeah, well, I love the way you come back into the show. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Thank Um, you. Yeah, yeah, and and having to do with what kind of guidance I feel that I have in my life now too. I after the uh, after the second near death experience had happened, the one where I saw the scenes from my life, um, I knew that things had to change, Mm -hmm. and I I gave up my life in the. in uh, New York City, in fact, and I moved back west mm-hmm. um, to help with a family project. Mm-hmm. And I thought that I'd be able to sort things out. But, you know, I took myself with me as <laughs> at the time, as we do. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was there to uh, to get married. There was somebody I had met when I'd been out there before, and I wanted to settle down and lead a normal life kind of a mm-hmm. thing and, you know, get to... Get serious about everything. Okay. Uh, and at uh, at on a Super Bowl Sunday, I was with some friends, and I was making a, a phone call on a payphone, which you don't see much of anymore. No, not at how all. How long ago that was? <laughs> um, it was about uh, fourteen years ago or so. Fifteen years okay. ago. Okay. Okay. And um, I was accosted by a skinhead. Uh, oh, who, I don't know if you know what skinheads are, but oh, y- yes, <laughs> disaffected youths who are sort of neo-Nazi tendencies, and yeah, like that. And I was dressed kind of in a like a you know metrosexual sort of, okay, a little upscale kind of for okay. where I was in in uh, Arizona at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, this fellow started to assault me, and I made a terrible mistake uh, after the second time that he assaulted me, and it became more violent, and I punched him. Oh well, and knocked him down, and I made good my escape. There were people who thought that I had done something wonderful and were almost like applauding me because this guy was was you know being so awful. Mm-hmm. Um, what I didn't know was that there was a van full of these guys who had oh. observed the whole thing, and they uh, knocked me unconscious from behind and then stomped and kicked me for a long time. Wow. For the better part of an hour. 
So this was definitely my least favorite way to... <laughs> Yeah, out of all of the near-death experiences, that was the most painful one. Yeah, I I really don't recommend that one. (laughs) And, and of course, I didn't die because Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here talking to you. There you go. And we don't actually die, only to this body. And Mm -hmm. so in that sense, I do believe that, again, I kind of checked out of this body, and I was in a place that was rather sort of dark. It wasn't as welcoming. And it had that uh, sense of um, uh, of an education uh, taking place, and I needed to come back. I didn't mm-hmm. want to come back. I struggled not to come back, but mm-hmm. I was gently, you know, coerced or sort of pushed back into this life mm-hmm. uh, because there were things that I needed to do, uh, you know, ostensibly, I guess, writing this book and talking to you and. All the things that have happened since um, since I started writing, yeah. and um, you know, I it still took me a couple of years, believe mm-hmm. it or not. But what happened was that I became successful in my field, and that wasn't the answer either. And I kind of hit a wall. You know, I reached finally that dark soul of the night where nothing about my material life was the answer. Worked. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I needed to turn to a spiritual path. I had this moment of grace, and I heard an inner voice that that told me the direction that I should take. Mm-hmm. And I began a spiritual practice. I began meditating, and it, everything changed in my life. It really did kind of a 180. And I um, I became very, very interested in... Uh, theology and philosophy and and uh, things that I had only paid you know cursory attention to before then, okay. um, but I definitely began to feel the presence of this benevolent kind of guidance in my life, mm. and started to see what these experiences had really meant, and they. Oh. In the midst of my meditative practice, they really uh, crystallized for me, and all of this, a lot of this, became very clear. What all these struggles and and um, and uh, difficulties had meant in my life, and what they were showing me. Okay, I'm curious um, because you're clearly you are here with us. You've had your three near death experiences, and like you said, you're clearly here with us. And the way you describe them, you know, you had this gentle guidance that, um, you know, helps you see things and get you through it. But there are some people who are in the same predicament as you and they go ahead and pass on to the next levels. So are you able to speak on or say, how is it different that some people say, OK, now it's not my time. And some people say, OK, I'm going to go ahead and go with this gentle guiding force is you know, I really don't know exactly. That is a mis- the mystery of each person's kind of karmic ed- existence, because to me that's what this indicates, you know, is that our consciousness continues on in sort of different forms and uh, as different kinds of beings, and I'm not sure how many times. I do believe mm-hmm. in reincarnation, uh, uh, obviously having experimented with mm-hmm. a little bit myself, but I, I can't really speak for somebody else and, and gotcha. where they might you know be led from life to life. Uh, okay. I do okay. know that there is something uh, rather school-like 
about this and that we need to pay attention to each moment and to recognize the eternal in one another and uh, to learn that the material is really not the answer for us. It's not, uh, you know, where our solutions to life are. Yeah, we do get caught up in, um, you know, and like you were saying with your first uh, near-death experience, you know, you get caught up in I need to, you know, get my profession, my career straight. I need to, you know, buy the house and the dog. And, you know, it, it's just we get caught up in the material aspects of, of life and we don't appreciate um, the things right. that life has. And all that stuff is great. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. And, and people uh, should be concerned with that. But um, if you have this kind of presence, if you bring this kind of uh, presence to, to bear in each moment of your life, you will be shown more effectively uh, what direction you need to go in. Uh, decisions will be easier to make. You, you mm-hmm. can hear your intuitive intelligence uh, more easily. I mean, something that I really noticed in these experiences was that I had freedom from the kind of... Uh, Serial demands of thinking, you know, when you, oh, okay. you get on that kind of hamster cage there in you your go. mind about all the stuff you need to do. I was released from that. Mm-hmm. And meditation does that for me, too. And so in those moments when I am not thinking a great deal, mm-hmm. oftentimes the best solutions arise to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, clearly some of the worst things I've ever done I thought about a lot. You know, <laughs> yeah, some serious reflection, huh? Right. So, um, and so now you know, I listen to this, what the Quakers call the small, still voice gotcha. that we all have that is clearly directing us in a very sane way. It might be real sanity and real mm-hmm. intelligence there. Yeah, you know, I think some people call it intuition, some people call it things, but, you know, we so many times we just forge ahead in this life and we don't pay attention to it at all, and it gets us in a whole heap of trouble. So um, I know in retrospect on my own personal life, I've looked back and said, Lana, gosh darn it, if you had to just listen. (laughs) Right, yeah, you knew all along. I do think that we have these individual intellects that are Mm -hmm. more materially oriented and engage us into, you know, all these things we want to accomplish and stuff which are fine, which are great. But your mind is really just like a, your brain is a thinking organ. Like your <laughs> lungs are a breathing organ, your brain is going to think. Mm-hmm. There is a deeper uh, intelligence at work in the world. You know, there is this invisible mechanism at work in this world that's of a spiritual nature. And when we engage in it, then we can uh, participate in this kind of shared intelligence that is right there. And it is that voice that told you what to do right in the first place. There you go. But then your independent, your um, individual intellect starts rationalizing and starts making plans and trying to accomplish things, and that's where you can get screwed up. So quiet time is really uh, good, and and an understanding that we're connected spiritually to this, um, you know, intuitive intelligence, if you want to call it that. Everybody, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I am with Robert Popecki, the author of the book, How to Survive Life and Death. And I just think that a lot of people struggle with it. It's a reality that we all have to deal with, but... You know, people fight it tooth and nail and, you know, don't embrace the living part of the process because they're so concerned about the, the, the death part of it. 
Right, yeah. And, it, you know, it has to do with the fact, too, that we lose track uh, that everybody is having this experience of life all simultaneously, you know. Mm-hmm. We are all doing the same thing here at the same time. There's nothing uh, special about it, but there is something very unique about each of our experiences, uh, you know. So, um, And there's also that aspect that uh, that everything we experience here is a result of being human of just mm-hmm. being human you know we we've got what we've got and it works mm-hmm. this way we all uh, have the same um, fears and expectations and you know feelings and injuries and all of those kinds of things and certainly um the sense of life the preciousness of life and our survival instinct as a human animal mm-hmm. is very powerful and so naturally we want to uh we want to hold on uh, to it, but um, it is a matter of our evolution, I think. And that's what I'm here to tell people is that there's no reason to um, to unnaturally hold on to this life. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that a lot of people, you know, have demonstrated that to us with what you might call a good death, you know, mm-hmm. by, by gracefully... Um, passing on, and I think an awful lot of people uh, do that. You know, we tend to think of the hard things or the bad things in life. Lots of times they pop onto our screen before anything else. But the fact is there are an awful lot of people in our lives that can show us how to do things right. There you go. There you go. And even even our, and I know you talk about this as well, even the animals around us, if we just listen to or look at, you know, how they are surviving this thing called life, you know, um, there's a way to appreciate the life and the death process. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. I really do believe that, you know, this kind of the egocentricism of being human sometimes has really... <laughs> has really been tough on our animal uh, brothers and sisters who really share this consciousness. Uh, you know, the more we learn about animals, the more we discover how deeply intelligent they and conscious they are. Uh, you know, much more so than typically feel comfortable in believing because, mm-hmm. you know, nobody wants to think that their pet understands everything that they're saying or doing <laughs> Or the animals that we might, um, you know, we might use as a food source or something have rich lives and feelings. Yeah. They do. And and, uh, the more that we learn scientifically, the more it proves that to be the case. But animals are not attached to this life the same way that we are. And so they're they're able, I believe, to, um, you know, to surrender in a kind of an ease of being they're they're more connected with the divine at all times mm-hmm. uh, than we are so at one point in the book i talk a little about elephants and and the phenomenon of an elephant graveyard the area where elephants might go and die and other elephants will come and visit and uh, sort of share a um share a sacred time with their spirits as it were Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in that sense, that's a very profound kind of intelligence and consciousness. Yes. I think, um, you know, we share, but then we're off to the races again and, you know, feeling like like we're the only show on earth. Sometimes you, really... you question Sometimes you question whether or not we're really the higher intellect of the, the kingdom. Exactly. What kind of life does a porpoise have? Really? <laughs> I 
think it's probably pretty sweet. You know? There you pretty, go. Pretty there you go. In form of consciousness. So I think we need to respect our animal brothers and sisters, and we can learn a lot of these important things from them. You know, as indigenous people have. Uh, oh yes. For, for thousands of years before our Western culture took over. There you go. Now, I want to um, kind of talk a little bit about the book, a little bit more about the book, I should say, How to Survive Life and Death. And in the book, you give out three tips for happiness. Can you share with us what they are? Yeah, these are the means through which we can engage this kind of invisible spiritual mechanism that I've been talking about that's happening throughout life, throughout our lives, all our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I call them radical kindness, radical forgiveness, and radical surrender. Mm-hmm. And uh, radical kindness I like to present as a challenge, so I'll do that. Okay. Go out and be as absolutely kind and loving to everybody that you come in contact with for the next couple days. Mm-hmm. Just uh, do it. Don't ask <laughs> Don't ask any <laughs> questions. <laughs> Don't gossip or be sarcastic or anything, but just really be authentically kind. With mm-hmm. them, no matter who they are, and watch what happens. Okay. It will transform your life. I okay. promise you. I guarantee it. It is amazing. There is a uh, a web, a, a fabric of kindness right underneath everything that you see, and you'll mm-hmm. feel like like you're connected in some kind of conspiracy. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> because you will find people. Uh, right there uh, for you who already know that, who already okay. know that's how it works. Um, radical uh, radical forgiveness, then, <clears throat> is a little tougher not to crack, but has to do with the fact that everybody is trying their best with a difficult situation. Life is not easy, and uh, some people are driven by traumatic things that have happened to them, as I was in my life, uh, and when we identify with everybody's uh, circumstances, which may not be the best in this world, we can see that oftentimes people who injure us are acting rather unconsciously, that uh, they're projecting their own pain, right? Mm-hmm. And if we want to take that on, then we will experience their pain, and we can mm-hmm. carry that around. <laughs> There's a siren going by just <laughs> And you know, so we can carry other people's uh, other people's trauma and pain with us, or we can radically forgive them and mm-hmm. set it down and move on with our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and radical surrender, which a lot of people have trouble with because they don't they don't want to surrender. Surrender mm-hmm. sounds like a bad thing. <clears throat> really has to do with this this invisible mechanism I'm talking about. It's there. It underlies everything. It's carrying us along. Life is flowing, and we often feel our best when we're in the flow of life. Mm-hmm. So uh, you say surrender as a bad thing happens when usually bad things are happening to you. Yes. Okay. I don't want to surrender. I've got to <laughs> do something about this, right? Mm-hmm. But I want, to, I want to point out that when things are going really, really well for you, you are surrendered completely. Mm-hmm. It's just that things are going really well for you. Right. So yes, it, it, you don't notice you, the the need to uh, to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Life is carrying you in a perfectly acceptable way to you. You know. It's there you great. go. Now, when things are going not so well, 
Life is also carrying you in that same way, and you can rely on it the same way. It's bringing you through this rough patch. Um, so, like the Native Americans say, if you're if you're getting tired of paddling upstream, you know, turn the boat around. There you go. It'll be right. so much easier. There's so yeah. much easier. And, you know, I think people might struggle with the radical surrender because it, it requires a shift in thinking. Because when you say the word surrender, you kind of conjure up. There's a battle. There's a war. There's a fight. And surrender means I'm going to lose. But, right. you know, if you rethink it in the manner that you're trying to get people to understand it, you'll see how it embraces you having the ability to live a, a much, much more full and rich life. Absolutely. And in fact, let's look at it that way, uh, even. <clears throat> then, uh, you know, in a way, since you're going to die, <laughs> we are <laughs> yep. all going to die, you are going to lose in, a, in that respect. Mm-hmm. Your egoic sense of self is going to have to surrender this life. So it's a strategy. This is a strategy for success in that same sense. Because you are surrendering to the winning side. You're mm-hmm. surrendering to the side that holds all the cards, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Which is this great, invisible, spiritual mechanism that's at work in the world, that is, that is anchored to us through love, that we can, we can access through love, through our hearts. There you go. And like I said, it's just it requires people to reformat. The right. definition in their mind and that that's all it is. You know, I think sometimes we just get caught up in, you know, we want to have negative connotations on things when it's really, you know, it's not necessary and it's a hindrance to you and, and the, um, the, the way you can live your life. So, you know, right. everybody right. needs to, and, and it, that, that just seems out of all of the three, though the radical surrender does seem like it could be the most difficult thing for people to struggle right. with. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, the, the, the wonderful St. Francis prayer that everybody loves so much does say at the end that you, you have to die to self, uh, so to speak, to, uh, to discover eternal life. And so what I'm suggesting is that people do sort of re, reformat their, their lives based on this. Um, you have to kill off a certain aspect of yourself. The part that's, you know, overly involved with who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to have and how you're comparing and measuring up. When you, uh, when you, you kill off that life, there is life after that. And it is a richer, larger, and more beautiful life that mm-hmm. you find after that. Now, I don't know if you can, um, but since you brought it up, do you have any sort of like, okay, this would be the first step you need to do to kill off those expectations of trying to compete with, I guess, what society is telling you you need to run and chase? And, you know, how does somebody disconnect from that so they can get to this place where you're you're at? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people can do that uh, uh, spon- uh, spontaneously, and uh, maybe their cumulative lives kind of teach them how to. In my case, it took, you know, having my <laughs> butt kicked a number <laughs> over and over. And I think that everybody sort of, it may kind of require something like that. That okay. one passes through that dark soul of the night when nothing seems to be working uh, for you so much. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the, that um, these suggestions for happiness, uh, radical kindness, radical forgiveness, and radical surrender are the feet in the door, uh, so to speak. 
a meditation practice can be such a wonderful thing where you're able to um, divest yourself of, of the, um, your thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. the demands of your thoughts, and start to connect more with that kind of intuitive intelligence that we were talking about. And then I think the recognition of love as really what you are trying to get in, in a profound way, what everybody is trying to get. Everybody really is struggling back to that. So I think that when we um, approach life with this kind of open-hearted awareness and have faith in that intuitive intelligence, that we can then uh, begin to access this deeper understanding of life that doesn't require uh, that we have the right car or the right clothes or the right job. It doesn't hurt to have because <laughs> that's fine, right? Yeah. But it's not. those aren't necessarily the things that are going to make your life uh, fulfilling and rewarding in the same way that, uh, that finding love as the source of your spiritual growth will. That's right. Can't base your your sense of self on all of that. Um, Well, Robert, you know, we have passed an hour of talking together and it's gone so fast, even with technical difficulty. Yeah, I know. Right. They always (laughs) go so fast. (laughs) And I've had such a pleasure talking to you. Uh, My guest today has been Robert Kopecky. Please visit his blog at Robert Robert, tell me real quick, how do people pick up a copy of the book? Well, you can get it in all the regular places, but I do tell you to try your local store, too. Um, okay. Get it online, and it's on all the major bookstores. Okay, good stuff. Yeah. I thank, thank you so much for making time for me today thank and you, sharing your And uh, that is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember, when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you next week.